Amen. Well, church, as you're having a seat, if you would grab your Bibles and open them to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Great job, band. Thank you all. Uh, if you're new with us, we want to say welcome. We also want to say happy Mother's Day. We're so thrilled that you are here. God and his sovereignty, uh, as we've been walking through, kind of our normal way of teaching through the Bible is verse by verse, and we're going through the book of Ephesians, and we find ourselves this morning... Uh, And last week and this week talking about parenting because Paul, uh, as he's writing to this church, has painted this mountaintop view of the glorious realities of our salvation uh, in chapters 1 through 4. And then in chapter 5, he starts to get really practical and he begins talking about church relationships like authority in the church. Uh, authority and uh, submission and uh, all of these things with one another and friendships and in church relationships. And then he's going to talk about kind of where the rubber meets the road and how the gospel now informs our marriages. And then last week we began to touch on and look at how in Ephesians chapter 6, how the gospel now informs our parenting. So this is our final week that we're going to be talking about parenting. Uh, and we're also going to next week be jumping into the workplace employees, employers, bosses, and all of those relationships. So Paul is getting super practical. He's getting very practical. Ashley, will you hand me that book real quick? I forgot to grab it and take it up with me. Sorry, I know your hands are full. Appreciate you. Um, And so uh, Josh mentioned this, Paul Tripp, uh, we're doing the conference with them, kind of dovetailing uh, a lot of the things we're talking about in parenting. So we've got a a Friday evening and a Saturday morning little mini conference live stream with Paul Tripp. Would really highly recommend parents that you uh, attend that. We're almost full. Um, And then we've been talking about parenting here in Ephesians. He wrote this book called Parenting 14 Gospel Principles. I highly recommend it. If you don't have a book on parenting, you're looking to read one, you're interested in learning more about some of the things we're even discussing, and maybe a precursor to some of the things he's going to be talking about, pick up that book and read it. It's a great book. Great read. Uh, I don't get any, any money for that, so I'm just telling you to buy Paul's book, because I think it's really great. Um, well, last week, here's what we looked at. So the, the, the verses were in, there's essentially two verses. We're spending two weeks on two verses. Why would we do that? Because I think this is such... Uh, a reality in our church, in our stage of life, with many folks uh, that, are, uh, that are here in this room, uh, and then maybe they're thinking one day they'll be. And so we wanted to take some time to really sort of settle into what is the gospel according to parenting really mean? What are we talking about? And so what we learned last week, quick, quick recap if you weren't here, is that in the everyday moments, in these everyday little moments where we tend to get frustrated, where we tend to get angry, where we tend to even get tired in our parenting, that our help is found in the transformational message of the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at and we saw that the Bible, as it's written to us and given to us as God's infallible, authoritative, trustworthy word of God, he doesn't give us tips, he doesn't give us little tricks, he doesn't give us parenting life hacks like we so often reach for. In our moments of frustration, we tend to look for, well, just tell me what to do in this moment. And we realized that the Bible doesn't just give you, well, say this when this happens. It's not about that. What the Bible gives us, what the Bible shows us, is that we are to submit our lives to the glorious realities of the gospel message. That Jesus' life, death, and resurrection isn't just 
for our past sins and our covering of our past sins. And it's not just for our future one day with him in heaven. That the gospel of Jesus that we talk about, that we sing about, that we raise our hands, some of us raise our hands to, right? This glorious message that we're singing about and reading about and aligning our lives to informs every single moment of every single day, whether it's in your friendships, whether it's in your marriage, or whether it's in your parenting. It informs all of it. So Jesus did not just die for your past sins. He did not just die to secure your future, though he did both of those. He died for every moment of every day that we face in this present world. And so when Paul writes Ephesians, as we've been studying this book, that's why he can transition from the glorious realities that we have been chosen before the foundation of the world to be sons and daughters of the Most High God into things like now husbands, wives, mothers, fathers, employees, employers, because all of that glorious salvation realities inform and affect the everyday. This is what Paul's trying to tie together for us. They're not just, it's not a get out of hell free card one day and I'll go see you one day and I'll kind of figure it out as I go. No, it all is informing me right now as I'm living my everyday life. The gospel addresses everything. And so we, we talked about, and I encourage you to go back and listen if you didn't, uh, if you didn't hear that one, because this one's going to build upon it. But the gospel addresses everything. And when we understand the gospel, when we understand the gospel in that way, in that profound way, not as a what Jesus did long ago and what I'll see one day in heaven, well, I understand the gospel as, as the way to inform my everyday. It radically changes the way we view and live our lives. It gives us a whole new way of living. And I am aware that when I say that, I know that we, we kind of live in the Bible Belt, we live in the religious South. I'm aware that when we say that so often, we hear that a lot. Uh, if you're a churchgoer, or maybe you've grown up in the church, uh, a lot of us think to ourselves, well, what does that mean? Yeah, you say that. Well, what, what does that really mean? And a lot of us, what we hear, I think, and what we, what we tend to like import into that, that the gospel informs our everyday, our everyday moments in parenting, we think this, well, I just need to make sure my kids get saved. Yes, we want that. We want Jesus to save our children, but it doesn't just mean that. It's not just, I hope my kids get saved one day. That's not exactly what we're talking about. We're actually talking about the gospel as a lens that you view all of life. It's like, it's when Jesus saves you and you begin to see things in terms of the grace of Jesus and the realities of the gospel, how we treat people, how we're married, how we parent, how we interact. It's this new lens by which we live our lives. And it begins to inform and it begins to change the way we see people, the way we see ourselves, the way we see the church. And when we see God now involved in all the details of our lives. And so... This changed lens is, is this new job description that we have as parents. That's gospel-centered parenting. It changes what we view, what we think is important, how we interact with even our children. And so we talked about how the gospel can keep us from losing our way as parents. Um, the gospel can explain things to us that would never be explained in any other way. The gospel is the big picture that we need as moms and dads. The gospel we talked about keeps us 
from what I call bumper car parenting. It's this parenting cycle that we all get trapped in if we're not careful, and it's just bouncing from one situation kind of to the next based on different needs of our kids. This kid's screaming, this kid needs this, and you kind of bounce over here, and you end up just bumping into all these different situations and scenarios, and you wake up one day and you think, where am I going and what am I doing? And how do I get there? I feel like I'm just going from one thing to the next, from one thing to the next. The gospel gives us purpose, and the gospel gives us vision, and the gospel gives us understanding of where we're going as parents, that we're not just reacting to moment by moment, but it gives us a bedrock understanding of what we are to accomplish as parents. And so that's why Paul addresses these things, because these are real life things, And so knowing that, this week, where are we going? Knowing that, that the gospel is the starting point, that the gospel is the middle ground, that the gospel is the goal of our parenting, that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus informs how we interact with our children, how we raise our children, how we discipline our children, the authority that God gives us as parents, all those things that Paul talks about, that we're not to provoke our children to anger, the gospel is, is the bedrock, knowing that that's what we need in our parenting. Parenting, therefore, does not just begin with theology. It doesn't just begin there. I'm not saying not having good theology isn't important, but it doesn't just start there. It's not just a set of ideas about God and parenting that we start with. It doesn't begin with strategy. We leaned into that last week real heavy. It's not just a bunch of tips and tricks that we need and we need to grasp. It does not begin with just good advice. And it doesn't begin with this is how it was done with me long ago. So I'm going to follow in that, that way necessarily. Right? Because the gospel is the starting point of parenting, I believe that... Parenting, therefore, begins with this, confession. I think parenting begins with confession. What do we need to confess as parents? You're like, well, that sounds weird. What, what, what do we need to confess as parents? If the gospel is the very beginning point, why would we need to begin with confession? What do we need to confess as parents? We need to confess this. Parenting is impossible right? We just need to confess that. Parenting is impossible. There's nothing natural. We need to confess and come to grips with this idea. There's nothing natural for me in parenting. It's just, it's, it wars against all my natural instincts. It wars against all my natural predispositions as a sinful human being. What do I mean? What do we need to confess? What does this look like? Well, Maybe you're different, and if so, please come stand up here because I need to hear from you. I naturally just don't think about the welfare of other people just all day long, even my children. I just am naturally just not just bent that way, right, because of sin in me. I'm naturally not just really patient, just like, oh, I'll just, I'll just keep being patient. I'll just keep being patient. I'm just naturally not bent that way. I'm naturally just not a servant. I'm naturally just like, oh, how can I serve? Where can I serve and think less of myself and more of others? I'm just not naturally bent that way. 
I don't naturally look for places in my life and in my schedule and in my pocketbook and in all areas of my life to sacrifice my time and my energy and my money for the good of other people. It's just not just hardwired into me every moment of every day that I wake up. Right? I'm easily irritated. Ask my wife. <laughs> Anyone can relate to that? I'm, I could be really self-focused. Um, and there's a reality that the call that God gives to us in parenting to bring our children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, the way of the Lord, the way of Christ in his way and in his pattern and in a gospel-loving way that is just doesn't come natural for me. Right? Does anyone else know what I'm talking about? Can I get, a, can I get an amen from anyone in here? I'm like, oh my gosh, maybe this is... I need to get a new, I, I, I quit. I don't know. All of you are like, what's this guy talking about? I'm naturally servant-hearted and love giving up my time and money and energy and sleep all the time every day, right? Just how I'm wired. Guys, looking at me like I'm crazy. So here's what I'm going to ask this morning as we kind of continue into this and just kind of press into this gospel lens of parenting and what this really means for us. Uh, I'm going to... I said all these things, and it sounds kind of funny and joking, but I'm serious. That's just, that's in me, and I think it's in all of us. And so what I want us to do as a church uh, and as parents or as folks that uh, one day hope to be parents or as grandparents, that we can maybe let our guard down a little bit. It's so easy to just put up the wall and say everything's fine and post our great Instagram picture and life is great and wonderful and I have really obedient great kids and I'm the best parent in the world and move on with our day and we're just still wrestling with all these things inside of us. And so I want us to maybe be honest with ourselves and open our hearts so that we can just quit faking it for, for a few minutes. Because what God is calling us to do as a parent is utterly impossible in and of ourselves. We just don't have it in us. We don't have the ingredients necessary. It's not something we can just muster up and it produces and always equals the desired outcome that we have. I, uh, a little bit about me, I have some really obscure hobbies uh, you'll, you might know or figure out. I like making bread, okay? It sounds weird. It's true. I, so I, and not just like buy yeast from the store bread and sprinkle it in. I make sourdough bread. So I started my own sourdough culture and yeast from the air and I have to feed it every day and make sure the water measurements are right and the flour measurements are right and it's naturally uh, rising bread and I just have, a, I have a, just a fantastic time with it. Yeah, I know I'm weird. So confession right there. There's step one of confession. I'm a strange person that I make bread like they made in the 1800s. I enjoy it, right? It's fascinating to me. So uh, you have to keep feeding it. So if you ever like leave town or you go out, you have to like put the sourdough starter in the fridge. Otherwise it just gets kind of nasty and dies. You got to start over. So if you put it in the fridge, it slows it down. I pull that out to make another loaf of bread because I usually try to make one at least once a week or every other week, which is another problem I have because I like <laughs> making bread. Um, it all goes together. It'll start making sense. Um, but I make this bread, and I, I thought the starter was good. I fed it. I thought it was active, and I threw it in the oven, and it was just, it didn't rise. Like, the sourdough wasn't alive, and it didn't rise the bread, but I baked it anyway. I was like, let's just see what happens. I added more flour. It needs more flour. I put a little sugar to feed it, and it came out, and it was just a brick, right? It was terrible. It just didn't work. 
I didn't have it in me to like force it to do what it was supposed to do, but I tried to rush it and I tried to do it my own way, tried to add a bunch more stuff and it just came out and it just was bad and it was, I made my kids eat a few pieces. I like just scorched it in the oven, made toast. I'm like, yeah, it's good. Izzy, Izzy commented, it tastes like a cracker. I'm like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> she's always really positive. If you know Izzy, she's always encouraging. So I knew she would, Ashley was like, oh, that's interesting looking. She didn't try it. Um, it's just the ingredients weren't there. It didn't happen. It didn't do what it was supposed to do, right? And that's us in parenting. We just, a lot of times we think, okay, well, I've got, uh, I've got me, and I've got my ideas, and I've got these kids, and I'm going to pour it all in here. And sometimes the outcome just doesn't happen like you think it's going to happen. You're like, what's going on here? Why is this not working? What parenting is, is this, it's it, the significance of what we've been called into and our inability to do it on our own is just this alarming reality that we need to be faced with. I think Paul is helping us understand this, but our help is found in the gospel, right? So we're not left at it alone. In and of ourselves, trying to make it work when things aren't working, it comes out just as a brick and a cracker, and it's not what it was supposed to be. We need help from above. But what God has called us to do, when you think about the significance of this call of parenting, for those of you that are parents in here, it's this lifelong thing. It's this God-calling thing. Think about the demand. Think about the mega-commitment of it. I mean, when you begin to really let it like sink into the everyday realities, I mean, moment by moment, day after day, morning after morning, afternoon after afternoon, Night after night, not for a year, not for two years, not for three years, not for four years. It's this case for 20, 25, or in my case, 30 years. Because we had Ruthie. We have the caboose, right? She's just now turned two. So I've been, I've been at it for 11 years already, and I'm still changing diapers. You're like, whoa, this is like this mega commitment this is, this is incredible. That's right. I'm going to soundtrack to that one. I'm preaching. <laughs> it's this, it's beyond comprehension, right? It's beyond our ability to really grasp the commitment and the calling and the realities of this, this, this thing called parenting that the Lord has wrapped us up in. I mean, think of the years that God has called us to do this. And so we start in this place. If the gospel is our starting place, we start by confessing our great need. That's where we start. That's where we begin. Church, if we're going to parent the way that God wants us to parent, if we're going to raise our children, as Paul encourages us in Ephesians 6, in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, if we're going to not provoke our children to anger, if we're going to have children that would long to obey their mom and dad under the umbrella of the authority of the Spirit of God with parents who are revealing the invisible authority of God as God's authorities in their life, if they're going to learn to trust the wisdom of God through parents that love and want to honor Jesus, we need to confess that we simply cannot do it in our own strength. That we need to be rescued from us that we need to be rescued from ourselves. 
right? We need to confess our great need. If we are going to be gracious, yet firm, just, merciful, joyful, self-giving, sacrificing of our time and energy and money, gospel-centered parents, if we are going to be those types of parents that the Bible tells us to be, that he longs for us to be, we need to know that we need to confess our great need for the Lord because it's just not in us. Just not in us. We need help from above. And tips and tricks will only get us so far. Uh, those are like New Year's resolutions. They work for a short time, but they just wear off. We need to be rescued from ourselves. Because apart from that rescue, we are not going to be who we need to be and who we're supposed to be as parents. I mean, I've sat, I don't know if you can relate to this, I've sat in my room after a parenting moment with my children far too many times just kind of doing one of these like, with just shame or guilt that washes over me because I've stormed into my daughter's room or into my son's room and I've, I've just kind of got angry or I've got frustrated because they kept pushing back, they kept pushing back, they kept pushing back, they kept pushing back, and I finally just laid the hammer down and stormed out of the room, right? And then I walked back and sat in my room and wonder, oh, man, I just blew it again. There's no heart transformation there was no recognition of anything they'd done wrong. Uh, it was just my law that they'd broken, and I flew off the handle because of that, and I sat in my room wondering, man. In those moments, it's easy to see where we need help. I've sat in my room far too many times facing the realities that I've blown it once again, right? And in those moments, we cry out to God in confession. We say, I can't do this alone. I need help from above. I need the grace that only you can give, and I need to be able to portray that and live that into the lives of my children. Church, remember this. We talked about this last week. There are not six steps to the promised land of parenting. Uh, there are not seven strategies for successful sibling situations. We like those because they all kind of rhyme. Those don't exist. And I don't know about you, uh, but I've had enough of sort of this, I'll call it heresy, that if we just learn these 10 things, then everything is going to go great. If we just learn these five things, then everything will go wonderfully in our marriages, and everything will go wonderfully in our parenting journey, or whatever blank you fill in there. Self-help, the power of positive thinking, fails every time in the church and the world off the church sometimes the world oftentimes loves to sell it to you so church i'm here to plead with you that we would stop buying that because it doesn't work that we would stop buying that if all you need to catch this why why should we stop buying it we're buying a lot of it it's a big 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 business it fills a lot of chairs and it sells a lot of books, and it hosts a lot of popular articles, blogs, you name it, wherever you consume media. People love to sell it to you. Why doesn't it work? If all we needed was 10 insights to do what we were supposed to do, to be who we were supposed to be in the very image of God, in light of the gospel, if that's all we needed to know and do to be the mom and dad that we needed to be, Jesus would have never had to come. He's not necessary. He's not needed. 
If all we need is just 10 things, five things, seven things, and we just live in those and we obey those, they do this and I say this, we have no need for Jesus. And we can just move on. We can all just go home. Because if he's not needed there, he's not needed anywhere else either. But the gospel that we embrace, that we sing about, destroys that false line of thinking. It just blows it up. It reveals it for what it really, what it really is. Right? And I think this is the danger, this is the trajectory of the modern church, I'll even call it, of the, the danger that we can slip into, is that the gospel that we celebrate on Sunday, the gospel that we raise our hands and worship for, the saving good news of the gospel that informs our salvation that we love to sing about, if we're not careful, ceases to inform how we live and operate as parents, ceases to inform, if we're not careful, how we love our spouses ceases to inform how we live out the call as Christ followers in the local church together. And so often, we have well-meaning parents. I've done this. I do this often. We reduce parenting down to a set of rules with an accompanying set of enforcements. Rules and consequences. I don't believe that that's what Paul talks about when he says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. Nurture and raise them in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Parenting gets reduced down to um, a lawgiver, a prosecutor, a judge, and a jailer, oftentimes. Or if you have really good, good kids, uh, the benevolent prize giver. That's the rare exception, right? If you do this for this many weeks, you get a new Lego set, whatever it is, right? And so just we sort of just bal- try to balance that all out. And that's not how the Bible describes the process of the radical reforming, forming, shaping, and molding of a human heart. Showing them, enforcing into them, revealing to them, speaking to them in a way that reveals what is good, right, and true in the kingdom of God. So what theology forms your parenting? This is why it's important to start with confession. Because as a parent in here, as a grandparent even, as someone that longs to be a parent, we are not beyond grace. Um, We're not beyond grace. The law does not save you. Grace does. And so often as parenting, we just lay down the law. And that's our measuring stick. As a parent, we need the grace of Jesus. In church, our children need the grace of Jesus desperately. And so we are a lot more like our children than we like to think we are. Let me give you an example real quick. Parents, maybe you can relate to this. My daughter, love her to death. She's 10 years old. Uh, She is a free spirit. She is an encourager. Like I said, she can eat my terrible sourdough bread and be like, it's so good, dad. Do you have any more jelly? Right? It just makes, she can make anything really bad positive. She's just kind of wired up that way. So she's great to have around. But she's a free spirit and she just sort of leaves a trail behind her wherever she goes. It's clothes, it's ballet stuff, it's coloring, it's markers, and then she just doesn't see it. 
It's her room is beginning. It's, we're, we're entering into those preteen years, and so her room is just filling with stuff and laundry and toys. And, and it's like you just cleaned it up 35 seconds ago, and you go back in, and you're like, how does it look like this already? I don't understand. I'm like, this is what it seems impossible for you to have gotten it this messy this quickly, right? And so we have these moments where we go up there, and we're like, okay, sweetie, can you please clean up your room? And she's like, yeah, got it. And she comes down, she's like, I'm done. You go up there and you're like, you didn't do anything. Like, I don't understand how you think this is clean. Like, do you not have eyes? Like, how can, are you not seeing clearly? Do we need to take you to the doctor? Right? We've had these moments or it's the playroom with the boys or the Legos. Ooh, the Legos. <laughs> we have a friend that works at the Lego store, so we get this crazy discount, which means we have far too many Legos. And I step on them like a hundred times a day, right? And they're everywhere. Boys, pick up the Legos. I just did. They're, ev- they're everywhere. And so you get frustrated and you get, and, and th- these moments boil up and they boil over and, and you finally storm in and you're like, how many times have I asked you to clean your room? Please do it now and do it right the first time. And they're just kind of like doing one of those, right? And you just lay down the law and they do it. And you're like, thank goodness. Finally listened. Um, quick show of hands. Any parent ever had that fight with their children? Okay, good. I'm not alone. Some of you were looking at me a little weird. Now, parents, let me ask you a quick question. It's going to maybe show my point, reveal my point. How many of you um, have a garage that you cannot drive a car into? <laughs> yep. Yep. You take your, one of your most valuable assets that you spent all this, that you're currently paying for, and you fill it up with just trash and junk, and you can barely even walk in there, and you're like, this doesn't make sense. Let's put the really expensive thing out there and put all the trash and garbage and $4 bikes from Walmart or Craigslist and just load them up in here, right? And you say to yourself, each and every week, when you open the garage, if you're like me, it's this infuriating realization. You're like, oh my gosh, I hate this garage, right? And you're like, I'm going to clean the garage this weekend. And I'm, you're like, and then a week goes by, I'm going to clean this garage this weekend. And a week goes by, and you don't clean your garage. And we wonder why we get so frustrated with our kids. We are a lot more like our children than we like to believe. We procrastinate. We just don't do it. We just keep piling it up. Or another question, how many of you can't see the carpet on the floorboard of your cars because there's sippy cups and diapers and a banana that's a couple weeks old just kind of chilling in there. And yet we go up and say, why can't you just clean your, right? And they're like, and then they walk in, they have to, right? And you're like, some of you are like, well, it's all their fault anyway, but it's, we're just like them. We're like, I'll get to the car later. I'll get to the garage later. We put it off. We're more like our children than we care to admit. We're desperate, we're rebellious, we are disoriented, we hate and we push against authority, we push against boundaries, we don't like being told what to do, when to do it, we are everything our children are with our Heavenly Father. And so all the things that are so infuriating to you as a parent with your children is like a little mirror look, reflecting right back at you. That's one of the hardest things about parenting. You're like, oh, he got that for me. She got that for me. Here's, here's, here's the deal, parents. 
the degree that we fail to confess our own struggles, our struggle of self, our struggle of we can do this on our own, to that same degree, you're going to be intolerant to the struggle of your children. I'll say that again. To, to the degree that you fail to humbly confess the degree of our own struggle with our Heavenly Father, our disobedient hearts, our wayward ways, not, not submitting ourselves to the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, and daily confess our need for God's help and his wisdom, if we forget that, we will not be ready to deal with the same in our children and then display God's grace to them like he gives to us. Nobody gives grace better than a person that knows they desperately need it. Um, <clears throat> that's why I believe that good parenting, not good parenting, it's a bad, poor choice of words, Gospel parenting starts with confession, not just tips, not just tricks that last for a few moments, a few days, or even a few weeks. It begins with the humble admission that everything my children need, I need also. And so I turn to the Lord for help. That's the well that I draw from when I parent them. That's the well that I draw from when I've stepped on the Lego eight million times, and I think, why couldn't they just get it? When the Lord looks down at me and says, how many times have I told you to correct this, to shore this up, to pick this up in your life? And he gives us grace and he shows us where we need to turn and where we need to go and corrects us. But he doesn't bring the hammer because all of the struggles in our children are mirrors of my own struggles. We pass it right on to them. So Paul instructs us this way in the home, not to bring up a child in, the, in our law, or in our agendas, or in what we think is right and wrong. We talked about that last week. But instead, Ephesians 6 tells us, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Don't just lay down a consequence that you know is going to infuriate them because they broke your law and storm out thinking that's parenting. Don't provoke them to anger, but bring them up in the discipline. It's not saying just cover over all their faults and let them do I'm not advocating passive parenting at all. He's saying, rather, it's not about your law. It's not about provoking them with things you feel like they've wronged you in. Rather, Paul tells us, he said, this is the way the gospel works. Rather, not making about you, bring them up, raise them up in the discipline. They need discipline and instruction, not of mom and dad, but of the Lord. And what is good, right, and true. So if we parent from a position of I have arrived and I have all the answers, it's my way or the highway, you parent like this. this is, these are common terms that uh, could easily come out of uh, our mouths. And I'm not saying I've ever said any of these things, right? In my day, I would have never thought of doing that. I would have never, I can't believe you did this. I would have never done X, Y, Z. In my day, this is just not how it was when we used to do X, right? We tend to just... We, we blanket statement out, th out those things to our children. And when our kids hear these things, they're growing up with a picture that's being painted as mom and dad are the standard of all nobility and righteousness and goodness. Because in their day, they would have never done that. 
In their day, they would have never struggled with that. In their day, they would have never just thought of themselves and not wanted to clean up their room because their room was always clean. So I must be doing it wrong. I must be a bad kid. Or I must, and they, they, they fill up those places with shame and self-doubt. There's no room for grace in blanket statements like that over our homes. Now, Paul Tripp says this, and, I'll, and, and he'll probably say it in our conference, but I'm going to say it here. He says, knowing that, he says, grace never calls a wrong right. I love that. So I'm not advocating passive parenting where you're just like, well, we'll just breeze over and they just do it. No, no, no. It's still being parents that bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And you never, grace never calls a wrong right. So you address it, but you know what you point them to is something greater. And that's the saving power of the Lord Jesus. Not your law that they've broken. But God's maybe if they have. Grace addresses the sin in our children head on. Calls it out as wrong and is disobedient, but points them to Jesus as their greatest need for rescue. In the midst of your child's failure, they... They honestly don't need to hear you would have never done that when you were younger. Because we probably did the same things, or maybe even worse. Your child needs to hear it, hear sin called a sin, but we need to show them as parents that their greatest need and hope is found in the grace of our Lord Jesus. That's how we capture these God given moments as parents, that's how character is formed in our children. Character is not formed by do better next time. Character is not formed by I would have never done that. You better figure this out. I'm going to close the door and you better think about this. When you slam your foot down and you tell them to think about it, they're not thinking, wow, my heart has been changed. That, that was a very rational, great conversation I just had. And I really see the waywardness of my actions toward my sister or toward my parents. I really am going to repent and turn to Jesus as my greatest rescue in need. They're not thinking that. Right? They're thinking, man, dad gets just white hot whenever I do this. I'm either going to not do that when he's around or make sure he don't find out. Right? That's what they think about. But this is how, as gospel-forming parents, we capture these moments with our kids and we point them to something more. And if you're not naming our own need as parents and we just get ripping mad at those types of things without grace and without confession, we just come down and say things like, I can't believe you did that. I would have never done that. Slam the door and leave. Or if you knew the day I had, you would have never said that or done, right? whatever it is, right? That's not parenting. Our children are helped in those moments. They're taught not to get caught, and there's no wisdom, and there's no heart change, and it just ends up being behavior modification. That's not bringing them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Right? So how does it work then? Right? They're like, okay, well, that's great. I can't do that. Well, what are we, what are we supposed to do? This is hard, and this is why confession is needed, but this is why confession is hard, especially... With our, in the, even in front of our children. When our children does something like, you know, they procrastinated on that project they had at school and they have 
20 minutes to do it. You turn it in and you're just furious or they haven't picked up the room for the 800th time procrastinating, they haven't listened. Or they just did something really bad. They threw a block at their brother's head or whatever it is, right? Name your parenting situation depending on where you're at. How do we handle that in a gospel-centered way? I think we stand next to our child and rather than say, I can't believe you did this, you say something like, I know exactly how you've gotten yourself into this mess because I'm just like you. Uh, I tend to do what's just comfortable for me. I tend to try to skirt what's hard when the responsibilities are put in front of me and just, I don't want to do it. I tend to put off what's uncomfortable for me. I tend to put off what's, what's going to be troublesome. And then you turn the corner and you look at that child who just did something they know they shouldn't have done. And they know they've maybe disappointed you or their siblings or whoever else it is. And you say, but there's hope for you and me. There's help for you and me. Because God sent his son not just to forgive us, but to rescue us from ourselves and give us the power to do what we cannot do on our own. That's the hope of the gospel in the midst of these moments of parenting. And then you say, how about reaching out for that help right now? Yes, that was wrong what you did. You shouldn't have reacted that way. You shouldn't have done that. But I love you, and in your struggles in life, they're also my struggles in life. And I'm not going to turn my back on you in your time of need right now, but I'm going to show you where help is found. Because I'm just like you. And then you get to sit down with that child. And those conversations, you don't say those exact words, but... I mean, in those moments, they hear you. Their hearts are now have the chance to be changed and shaped, and you show them what's better. Not, I would have never done that in my day, so you better cut it out, slam the door. It's I'm just like you, and I understand exactly how you got yourself into this. Let me show you a better way. Who wouldn't want that person as their mom or as their dad? That's what causes those conversations to be healthy and gospel-centered as it begins with humble confession, even in the front of your children. Help is not found in doing better, pulling up your bootstraps, or hiding your failure, or covering it up, or have it look better next time. That's what the world is going to tell them all through their growing up. Show them the gospel. Show them their great rescuer. Godly parenting begins with confession and it builds into them character. Church, God has not chosen you to be a parent because you're so gifted and you have it all figured out. Moses wasn't able to lead his people on his own. David was not able to defeat Goliath on his own. The disciples were not able to, on their own, to carry out the mission of the gospel to the ends of the earth. They weren't able to do it in their own power, but help and rescue is there. And it's through the Lord Jesus. He is able. He is able. So God has chosen those who are desperately weak and full of need and broken to show his glorious realities and power. We bend our knee to him. If I'm willing to confess the depths of our need 
And we say, Lord, help me convey this. Help me display it. Help me show it to my children. Then we realize in all of those moments where we see sin and failure and need in the lives of our children are opportunities for us as parents to show them the grace and goodness of Jesus and that he's their great rescuer. Not my words and not my way or the highway, but turn, repent, confess, and point them to something greater. That's Jesus and his grace. And in his grace is where we thrive. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but rather bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Bring them up, nurture, develop, cultivate a life in your children, not of anger and resentment and hiding and don't do it because dad gets white hot mad at it, but instead bring them up in the grace, mercy, wisdom, firmness, authority, and love of Christ. Gospel character is built in that way. And it's the foundation is the very mercy of God. This is, what the, this is what the Bible is calling us to as parents in these relationships. Let's do it together, parents. This is hard work, uh, but it's worth it in this mega commitment known as parenting. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, I do pray um, in these moments. Lord, would you make us a confessing people, ones that would admit our great need, Lord, would you show us in our lives areas that we need to lean more heavily to you and your goodness and your mercy, knowing that you've poured out for us grace and mercy when we are undeserving. And God, I pray that in the lives of our children, as we have about a hundred of them back there, God, that you would give us great wisdom and insight and mercy to show and display your grace to them in their great times of need. Help us be parents, not just based on our own law books, but on your way, in your discipline, in your instruction, in the way of Jesus. Make us gospel-formed people that we could point our children and show them what is good, right, and true because we love it. We've been changed by it, and we need it. Help that be a culture amongst us as a people. We need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship him.